One thing I wanted to do before we begin uh, the message this morning was just to share with you uh, another, some words of gratefulness. We, uh, a few of us um, uh, had been talking about how we're going to handle this give to the max. And the give to the max is a Minnesota thing where you, on a November 14th last week, you give as much as you, know, you can to an organization. And it started out where they actually would double your money or things like that. Well, it got to the point where they didn't have enough. So... Um, the top five would get kind of the bonus money from that. And uh, so we chose to say, let's let's just give. Let's not focus our people on that. Let's focus on helping like interfaith outreach and, and, and help the homeless in our area. Let's do that. And so in faith, we took an offering at our um, service a couple weeks back at the end of our communion time with that being the purpose. And then someone came up after that and said, you know, uh, God's done so much in our lives through this body. We would really love to challenge the body. We'll give a $10,000 gift to the church if, and if, if people would just match that $10,000 gift. And so we said, okay, that's fine. Called it double your donation. And so this last week from the 11th to about the 15th, you could give. And we said, you know, over and above kind of thing. And, and if you notice in your weekly, it says we didn't know the title, the, the, the amount. And we didn't when this came to publication. But today I can tell you, that with that $10,000 gift, another $42,000 came in. <laughs> um, and God has blessed us through your generosity. And I was kidding with Mike, who is overseas our administration, ministry stuff. I just said, you know, Mike, we're just not smart enough to come up with those kind of ideas. God's at work. And we're so grateful to see how God is at work. And we're so grateful how he works through you and how you have been touched by what God is doing. So that we, you know, our deepest desire is to see more people encounter God and grow in community and then go out and change and impact their world. Those are the values that we, we kind of anchor in what God is doing. So I just wanted to say that. And then I want to just say as we move into this couple messages on gratefulness, I'm going to ask if you just bow your head and pray with me. Father, you are good. Every good and perfect gift comes from you. None of us worry about the sun rising the next day. Whether we see it or not, we know. Rise in our hearts this morning again. And I I just pray, soften our hearts. Use my heart, which as I prepared it to speak, uh, that you would, with your word, Speak into the lives here. Spirit of God, just go where you need to go in our hearts to make us more like Jesus. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, you know, it's interesting. We have a routine in our house on a pretty uh, regular basis. And uh, as we get up in the morning, my wife um, will go downstairs and she'll turn on Joyce Meyer, which is connected to a place where she works out. So in the kitchen where I'm getting stuff ready, so she goes down, runs on a treadmill, listens to uh, my aunt Joyce Meyer, the TV. But you know, that's not true. Anyway. And, and she'll just listen, very biblical, practical things that she, uh, Joyce Meyer, talks about. And so what I'll be doing is I kind of get ready because I want to spend some time, you know, we're talking about the word, one of the values and one of the deep um, commitments in my life is to spend time in the morning. I, I need to do it early and I need to do it first thing. And so I kind of get coffee made. So I'll be awake and, you know, make a few things. Well, I'm sitting, I'm in there and I'm hearing Joyce Meyer speaking and she's talking about, 
you know, I just catch a snippet of her message, and she's talking about um, to this packed auditorium that she made a choice about 20 years ago. And so I, I thought, I wonder what this choice is. And she started to share that in her early 50s, she made a choice to be habitually, that she wanted to become a, habitually happy. I thought, that, that's interesting, you know. And she wasn't talking about this kind of just happy, light, you know, go through life. I mean, she's talking about the happiness that really resides in a sense where it says rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Because God is with you and loves you and he's for you and, and he's in you and he moves through you. And, and if you have this kind of God with you, you can be habitually happy in him. And, and so she's, you know, she goes on and, and I kind of left there to go and she's still talking. And as I'm walking into my office, I'm thinking, you know, that's a, that's a good challenge. I'd like to be habitually happy 20 years from now. You know, by choices I make, that eventually it'll be a habit, that it'll be joy and thankfulness will flow through me. So I'm thinking, you know, if I did that, I mean, I'll make a commitment of 20 years so that when I turn 60, <laughs> wait a second. Okay, when I turn 76, uh, now I'll do the math. Um, by the choices I've made, I will have sown, as we said, even in the midst of weeping, even through difficult times, a habit that will become a part of who I am, which is grateful and joyful and full of hope, habitually happy. And I've made those decisions in the past where I've done, I continue, it's kind of a life journey. So the, let me just share, this is a message for me, not for you. So I'm just speaking for me. You guys are just here to enjoy this, I hope. Um, I say this because it was about three years ago, two, three years ago, that I decided that when I journal, I'm going to just kind of write down some things what I'm thankful for, because that had a way, you know, thankfulness is a cousin to joy, and it has a way of getting our heart and our mind in the right place. So I'll, I'll do that. Well, then just not too long ago, before this, about three months or four months ago, I decided, you know, I'm going to every day after when I start to journal, I usually say, good morning, Jesus, or how you doing, you know, that kind of thing. And. And I used to just kind of say, you know, have a good start to your day, or, you know, my night was really tough last night, whatever it would be. When I decided, the next thing I'm going to say is, this is the day the Lord has made. I will choose to rejoice, and I will choose to be glad in it and through it. Well, this kind of brought me to a new level of understanding and thinking. And I was thinking to myself, God, if I'm going to do that, then there needs to be some more things than just the thankfulness and just the kind of a choice. And there's got to be some things I need to be doing, some commitments I need to make throughout the day that I'm going to have to learn how to employ. If this habit's going to become a choice, it becomes a part of my character. And I was thinking about it. It would be really, really neat. If, if, just think how much brighter other people's day would be if you were a happy, joyful, grateful person. Okay, a few of you are smiling. Wouldn't that be great? Well, I was thinking about this. I thought, well, if we were to do that, there's an author who says gratitude paints a little smiley face on everything it touches. That's kind of what you'd be like in your home, where you work. You would be what James seems to say here. James talks about being the first fruits, the one who are the first to come out in the sense of living in this life with God joyfully moving through us. James, the brother of Jesus, in the New Testament letter, which he creatively titles James, um, he writes to a group of discouraged and weary 
followers of Jesus, and he writes these words. And I want these words to kind of anchor, I think, these commitments that I'm going to talk about that I want to make and I want to challenge you to think maybe you want to make one or two or even all three of them. He says in verse 16 of James 1, Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Remind you of a song, Great is thy faithfulness. There's no shadow of turning with thee. We sang that to begin the service. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be the kind of first fruits of all he created. I like how the Living Bible paraphrases this. It says, he says, don't be misled, dear brothers and sisters. But whatever is good and perfect comes to us from God, the creator of all light. And he shines forever without change or shadow. And it was a happy day. I like that. It was a happy day for him when he gave us our new lives through the truth of his word. And we became, as it were, the first children in this new family of joy and happiness and gratefulness. It was a happy day. It was a happy day when the truth of God revealed himself so completely through Jesus who walked and died, who basically said, God loves you. God knows that you're not perfect and God knows that you sin. God knows that you create separation between Him and between other people. But God, who is holy and good and righteous and who no man will ever stand with unless He somehow takes care of that sin, the word of truth is He has set you free. He's forgiven you through what Jesus did on the cross. And because of that word of truth, if you just repent and open your heart and, and you understand His forgiveness, happy day it is for Him and for you. Because of this incredibly wonderful relationship he's put you in touch with. And when you begin to understand, to know this God, this Father, who is the Father who gives every good and perfect gift, you begin to realize that there should be something anchoring our hearts and lives. And I began to think, there's some things that can anchor my heart and life. Three tendencies I think we have to slide choice by choice, to be misled due to our perspective of the Father. We, we get out of kilter with what we think about God. We don't see His gifts. We don't understand them and appreciate it. And as a result of that, we, we look at what we don't have and we move to a poor me kind of syndrome and we can kind of walk through that during the day. And what also happens is the, the, the shifting, not in God, but in us, moves in such a way that we're misled and we start to move into a place of fear. And because we're in a place of fear, the past controls us because of maybe what we've done or the future so binds us and paralyzes us that we can't live in the moment and understand that God is with us. And then the other thing that happens is when you begin to become ungrateful and then you don't have this joy because you can't live in the present, you then begin to try and control the things to get the things that you believe you have to get by yourself. There's three things that I'd like to grab hold of in my life. Three things that I would encourage you to think about. Just statements you might want to say throughout the day. Today, I will choose to be grateful for what I have because God has blessed me. Today, I will choose to be grateful for what I have because God has blessed me. That is an incredibly great antidote to grumbling and complaining. Secondly, today I will choose to enjoy the moment because God is with me. Which is an incredible antidote to living in fear. 
Today, I will choose to put my hope in God because God's at work. I may not see it. I may experience a lot of things that aren't really good in my life, but God's at work. And that gives me hope. That moves me to a place that I can be responsible and do what I need to do, but I don't need to control things. I don't need to make it happen. I can live with God's life living through me and for him to do the kind of things that you couldn't imagine to do. So today I'll choose to be grateful for what I have. And the real key question here is about focus. What are you focusing on? You see, when you take your eyes off of God and the fact that he doesn't change or shift, his goodness and his gifts are, are there for us and they, he allows them and brings them into our life, and you begin to take your eyes off that, it's really easy to lose gratefulness and become ungrateful. Before the a message, we, we pray early in the morning and, and Pastor Paul Berggren, who is 90-some years of age, who leads our seniors, um, our ambassador class, he leads us in, in, in a prayer and shares scripture. And it's, it's so wonderful. I wish you all could be there. But he started sharing about the fact that he says, as we come into Thanksgiving season, Psalm 95, verse 3 says, let us enter his gates with thanksgiving. Let us go into his presence. Let us be thankful when we walk into his presence. And he said, my dad used to tell us years ago that kids just seem to have a a case of the gimme's. You know what that is? Uh, Yeah, give me this, give me that, give me. And it's all about what you don't have so you can get what, you know, give me, give me, give me. Well, what I want to share with you is when you live that kind of life, you are constantly living with a sense of ungratefulness because you're so focused on what you don't have. So what I want to do is take a moment to look at the children of Israel, which we often talk about the wilderness wanderings. But the children of Israel really should, they misnamed that in my opinion. It should have been the journey of complaint. Is if you go through this, it's pretty amazing. Um, it, it tells us that, that when they were in Egypt, they cried out to God. And so in Egypt, they're crying out to him. They groaned in their slavery. They cried out and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. And God heard their groaning and he remembered his promise to him. He intervened and he intervened by bringing Moses, who went before Pharaoh and did a bunch of these plagues that, that caused Pharaoh to see that this God is great. And Pharaoh, Moses was basically asking, he wanted his people to be able to work worship in the desert. That really is what the plan was, is they could go out and worship in the desert. And so he brings them out in the desert. They're starting to go out there and Pharaoh changes his mind and goes, you know what? I'm afraid I'm going to lose these people. He brings the army behind them. So the, the children of Israel, their kids, because the whole idea of the, I, I think it's interesting to call them children of Israel because this whole journey he's taking them through is a process that they would grow and trust in his provision and his goodness, that their eyes would be on him. They would see what all that he has, even though they may not have what they think they need. It's all to help perfect their faith. They go out there, they, they go by what is called the shortcut, which would have led them right into the promised land. God doesn't want them to go there because their faith isn't strong enough to defeat the enemy. So he takes them on a turn and they end up right in front of the Sea of Reeds. They're standing in front of the Sea of Reeds and this army with Pharaoh is coming behind them. And here's what we read. As Pharaoh approached the Israelites, they looked up and were terrified and cried out to the Lord. And they said to Moses, and since they complained to Moses, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us to the desert to die? What have you done by bringing us out of Egypt? And then God does this incredible thing. Moses raises his, his staff and the, the water parts, they go through it. And the whole army of Israel of Egypt is defeated. And it's like, this is incredible. God has provided unbelievable. You would think 
When God provides like that, the rest of your life you go, man, if He's going to do that. If God's going to intervene through Jesus at a cross and free us from our sin and our selfishness, incredible that He'll give us His Spirit and His new life. If He's going to do that, then what, what else would He hold back? Well, it's kind of interesting. That happens in chapter 14. And then we read in chapter 15 a little bit, just right after that, after the big victory, sea parts, they walk through. Verse 22, Moses led Israel from the Red Sea to the wilderness of Shur. They traveled for three days to the wilderness without finding any water. They got to Marah, but they couldn't drink the water at Marah. It was bitter. That's why they called the place Marah, because it means bitter. And listen, and the people complained to Moses. So what are we supposed to drink? Okay, you got us through the sea. We're in a desert. And God provides and turns this bitter water into sweet. Go to Exodus 16. So we're now 15 to chapter 16. God defeats Pharaoh, provides a way where there is no way, turns bitter water sweet. And look at this. Just 45 days later. Listen to what it says. On the 15th day of the second month after they had left Egypt, the whole company of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron there in the wilderness. Israel said, why didn't God let us die in comfort in in comfort? Anything wrong with that picture? Where we had lamb stew and all the bread we could eat. And you've brought us into this wilderness to starve us to death. The whole company of Israel. The children with a case of gimmies. And then we go on. And after he gives them manna and quail and allows for them to eat like they've never ate before, comes right from heaven. It says, and uh, anyway, I won't go into that. Those stories are so cool. But the water from the rock, chapter 17, he goes on. He says, remember, this has got to catch. They're in a desert, so water is really important. He's already provided water once. They're in the desert, chapter 17. God had provided once. They're now looking for water again. And so verse 1, directed by God, the whole company of Israel moved on by stages from the wilderness of sin. They set camp at Rephidim, and there wasn't a drop of water for the people to drink. Now, what would you do? Well, the people took Moses to task. They began to complain, give us water to drink. But Moses said, why pester me? Why are you testing not me, but God? But the people were thirsty for water there and they complained to Moses. Why did you take us from Egypt and drag us out here that our children and animals will die of thirst? Now, you got to hang with me because we're only about a little bit into the journey right now. But God decides at this point, I think he's tired of all their complaining. Maybe they have enough faith. And so he brings them to, if you go to Numbers, because at Exodus 17, it starts talking about some of the laws and things he's going to give. So Numbers kind of picks this up in Numbers 14. And he brings them to the promised land. They're ready to step into this land he promised he would give them. They send 12 leaders who spy out the land. They look at the land. They come back and their report is this. Ten of them. They complained again. We don't have what it takes to overcome these giants. Verse 33 of chapter 13 of Numbers says we seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes and we looked the same to them. And the whole, look at this, chapter 14, verse 1. The whole community was in an uproar, wailing all night long. All the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron and the entire community was in on it. Here's the refrain. Why didn't we die in Egypt? Or in this wilderness, why has God brought us to this country to kill us? Our wives and our children 
about to become plunder. Why don't we just head back to Egypt and let's do it now. Let's pick a new leader, they went on in verse 4. Let's head back to Egypt. So then he goes to number 16. So just a little bit further, a group of leaders begin to complain and grumble. And I won't read into that. Just get the idea that now they're beginning to complain. And then at a certain point, God judges 250 die. The people were told in number 16, verse 41 through 7 through 13. After this, begin to complain as well about those who have been um, who had rebelled and, and had been put to death. And so 41, he says, grumbling broke out the next day in the community of Israel, grumbling against Moses and Aaron. You killed God's people, which he didn't do anything. God did it. And so God wants to show him his glory again. So he takes the staff of Aaron, which isn't planted in the ground. There's no root system. And out of it, buds this blossoms in order that they would see God's with them. And then you get the Numbers chapter 20, verses 1 through 13. Now, this is the third time. I understand water is a big deal, right? You're in a desert and you're getting thirsty. So this is the third time because we're told that in the first month, the entire company of the people of Israel stayed in Kadesh and Miriam died there. See, it was it was Moses and Aaron and his sister Miriam. At this point, Miriam finally um, passes away. In verse 2, listen to what it says. There was no water there for the community, so they ganged up on Moses and Aaron. They attacked Moses. We wish we died when the rest of the brothers died before God. Why did you haul this congregation of God out here into the wilderness to die, people and cattle alike? And why did you take us out of Egypt in the first place, dragging us into the miserable country? No grain. Catch this. What are they looking at? What's their focus on? Their focus isn't on a God who's provided, a God who's blessed. What's their focus on? No grain. No figs. No grapevines, no pomegranates, and now not even any water. And then one more time, chapter 21. You, you'd think you'd get tired of this, but they have cried out to God. There's an enemy to Canaanites. They pray, God, please deliver us. They pray, God delivers them. And then look at verse 4 and 5. They set out from the Mount of Hor after this victory along the Red Sea Road, a detour around the land of Edom, and the people became irritable and cross as they traveled. They grumbled against God and Moses. What do you think they said? Why did you drag us out of Egypt to die in this God-forsaken country? What are they looking at? What's their focus on? Has God changed? Has God done anything differently? No decent food. Although he's given them manna, he's given them quail. No water. And then they say, we can't stomach this stuff any longer, referring to the manna he's provided. I have found in my life, and this is why I speak to me in this, that whenever my focus gets on what I don't have, I become an ungrateful person. Whenever I go, kind of go through life and, 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 and I say, God, all you got to do is you got to come through. And then he comes through. I have this short term memory problem. Anybody else have that with me? So I am speaking to a couple other people here. I'm glad to know that, that um, the rest of you just kind of, kind of fade out. But anyway, what you do is you go along and you realize that this father who gives good and perfect gifts has not changed one bit. He is not like a shadow that's moving all over the place. He remains the same. This God says, you know what, if you would wake up today, Kevin, it might really make a difference in your day. If you would just say today, I am grateful for what I have. Because God's blessed me. 
He's blessed me in the past and I may come against a difficult situation. I may be facing something that's really tough. It may be a conversation. It may be a situation where where I have some concern and, and, and I just want the And God says, you know what? I did it in the past. Will you believe that I'll be there for you again? I was thinking about this in, in, when I was working through this. I thought to myself, you know, one of the things that we do is we basically, in situations like that, we just say, God, you're not sufficient. You're not providing for me. It reminds me of what happened to Adam and Eve. You know, when Adam and Eve were in the garden, their disobedience, which is what he calls this kind of state that I live in, this grumbling, complaining state, this disobedience was always because of discontent. When Adam and Eve were in the garden, they had everything, but they couldn't do what? There was one tree that you couldn't say, give me it. And I can have it. There was one they began to believe a lie. The lie was that God was holding out on them. And so some of the lies that come into our life when we come into this place, is kind of like, God, you know, you're holding out on me. And, and, you know, why can't I have? And God sometimes is saying, you know, I just am trying to stretch you to grow up and to have faith and to know that I will provide for your need. Every need you have, when you have it in the right time, it will come through. And so whenever we look at our circumstances and grow, we're doing no different than Adam and Eve. We're basically just saying, God, you're holding out on us. We're no different than the children of Israel. So as I thought about this, I thought about what if God took a map of my life? What if he wrote the book of Kevin? And the book of Kevin was about my journey. And I began to think to myself, how much my journey would look like that? How much of my journey would be a journey of complaining and ungratefulness? How much would I look back and go, God provided, I complain, God provided, I complain, God provided. How about your own journey? Part of the wandering is because God is growing you up and he's teaching you character and he's causing you, hopefully, and me to grow in a spirit of gratefulness. One of the things that we did when I did a series this last spring, I think it was, when we talked about, it was in Philippians, where he said um, that complaining was a sin, and everyone agreed with that. And then I said, why don't we just for a week try to not complain? And then I, people raised their hand. I had a kind of, I fooled them into that second one, you know, because I had people not happy with me saying, you know, that was really hard. Well, we decided, my wife and I, to do a year of trying to not complain. And I got to tell you, I feel miserably. You choose to do something and it just puts a spotlight on it. And so I thought I was doing pretty good at preparing for this message. And my daughter, just about a day and a half ago, she's here in her first service and smiling at me, says, you know, Dad, I've been home about two weeks and I've noticed you complain a lot. Isn't it wonderful to live in community? I encourage you to think about that. I want to be a habitually happy, grateful person. There's another thing that I think is really important. Today, I will choose to enjoy the moment because God is with me. I am going to strike against not only this focus on what I lack and begin to start looking at all that I have in God and trusting that. I want to also not just live in that way. I also want to live in the moment, present, right now with you. Do my best, and I will fail in this miserably because I'm, tr- I'm, I'm seeing this, but I want to live in the moment present and enjoy the moment that God has put me in. 
I want to trust even when that moment isn't a really good moment. That when I'm in that moment, God's with me. God is beside me. God is here for me. Yesterday in the early morning, 6.48 a.m., that's why I like emails. I got an email from Andrea Habeisen, who Andrea is one of the team on staff here that does worship. And, um, and she just kind of encouraged my heart because I was working through this. And sometimes you have this self-doubt and you guys don't realize that as a pastor, you kind of put stuff together. And, and it was what I needed at that moment, a word of encouragement. And she, she writes, Kevin, like I wrote earlier, the phrase, there is no shadow of turning with thee has been impressed on my heart this week. I was rereading your message this morning, and I feel like this part is so important. This is the antidote of living in fear. I will trust that God is in the moment with me. He is present. He loves me and will care for me. I can be fully present, and because He is with me, I can be vulnerable in that moment. And she continued, staying in the presence of God, living in the presence where there is no shadow of turning. Can we stay there? Now, you may have no difficulty with complaining, but you may find yourself that you kind of slide into fear. Every morning throughout the day, you may need to repeat these words. Today, I will choose to enjoy the moment because God is with me. I will trust that God is in this exact moment with me right now. He is present. He is faithful. He doesn't shift like a shadow. He remains the same Yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He remains the same at 10 a.m., at 10.01 a.m., at 10.02 a.m., at 10.03 a.m., at 10.04 a.m., and He does it in the a.m. and the p.m. He is with me so that I can, I can take out all of the joy that He has for me in that moment and I can put all that joy into that moment for someone else. Now, I recognize this, that I'm not calling for people to not experience sadness. Some of you are experiencing some great difficulty, some loss. It is, it is the way we are made and wired that we are to go through the fullness of those emotions and we're to work through them. But sadness is the last for a morning and joy is to come, right? You are to, you know, I encourage you, and if you're stuck in a place, you need to, to get some others around you to help you understand what you're dealing with, what, you're, what you need to work through. But one of the things I want to encourage you to think about is that we are given the full gamut of emotions. We are to experience them. But one of the things that we're to experience is a sense of joy that comes from God that knows that we can be in the moment because we know that he's with us. Now, I want to talk to some of you who may not be in the throes of difficulty because I think it's really possible. There's a lot who don't live in the in, 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 in right now. You're not in one of those kind of very trying moments. But it's real easy to be misled and to not really live in the moment with joy. I read a statement where this person said, be thankful for your allotment in an imperfect world. Though better circumstances can be imagined, far worse are nearer misses than you probably care to realize. I think so often I can do in my own life is I can either be trapped by my past and not be able to be in the moment because of what's holding me here. Or I can be paralyzed by my future thinking of all these near misses. And so I, when it comes to the moment, I'm just not there and I'm not fully enjoying it. And I think God is sad about that. Benet Brown, who's a popular TED's talk speaker, in fact, has done a groundbreaking work on human connectedness. She talks on topics like vulnerability or courage and authenticity and, and shame. She writes this, the most terrifying emotion we experience as humans is joy. 
We're so frightened of our law of loss that we can't even allow ourselves to lean into those moments when we're standing over our children, watching them sleep or we're falling in love. And it feels like our hearts will burst. The second most of us start to feel joy instead of relishing the blessings, we tend to get swallowed up by the fear that the other shoe is about to drop. Anybody feel that way? You have trouble enjoying the moment because you're afraid that if you do so, you'll only be disappointed. So you guard yourself so you don't really move into it. You can't live within the forgiveness of God, so you kind of hold those things so you can't be present with a person in the moment, or you are so paralyzed by what might happen, all the near misses in your life, so you never actually allow yourself to be fully present because you're always thinking of the what-ifs. B'nai Brown continues, when we lose our tolerance for vulnerability, joy becomes foreboding. Instead of allowing ourselves to feel the vulnerability of how much joy we feel and how much hurt we would experience if we lost what we have, we dress rehearse tragedy in our mind so we can beat vulnerability to the punch. We look at our kids with so much love and then imagine them dying, not being with us. Or we feel such tenderness for the person we're falling in love with that we fast forward straight to the day when we get our hearts broken. And if things are going well in our professional life, we may imagine the day we get fired or lose all our money or our power and our status. And we're constantly playing these tapes. It's like by trying to imagine the worst case scenario, we somehow think we're protecting ourselves from what we fear most. But here's the reality. It doesn't work. All the dress rehearsals don't work. If your child dies or the love of your life abandons you or you lose your job or you declare bankruptcy or whatever tragedy might befall you, guess what? You're still going to experience that. You'll feel them all the same, but you'll feel them all over again. Here's the catch. In the interim, you've missed your chance for the effervescent joy and radical presence that comes through God, the true kind of bliss that he wants you to experience when you're in that moment. James says it this way. Don't be misled, you guys. Every good and perfect gift is from above. It comes from the Father. So enjoy it as you're in it. I encourage you to lean into the vulnerability of those moments of joy, she writes. Feel the flutter in your belly when you're feeling deep love. And even if you find yourself worrying that the other shoe might be about to drop, use those moments as a reminder to practice gratitude. Look at the sleeping child and feel grateful. Enjoy the moment. Stare into the eyes of the one that you love and count your blessings. Feel grateful for the fact that you found your calling at work or you're even just employed be vulnerable in the moment and acknowledge how much you may have to lose and yet revel at the fact that God has given you right now. Some of you guys, you're working so hard, you're working, enjoy your family now. Look your kids in the eyes and enjoy them. Look at what you got and be grateful. And then live in this moment and enjoy what God has given you. I think so often we live by the near misses and I sometimes think God is like a coach. Someone gave me a video and so this video kind of reminds me of what I think God could do sometimes. We're sitting up there and sometimes it's faith is to step into something and to really give ourselves to it, even though it may be scary, even though it may be something that you want to hold back on. And God sits there and goes, you know what? I just want you to live in this moment. So I just want you to watch this video because God may be saying the same thing you see here. I'll do it. Here goes something, I guess. You can do this. I'm gonna 
I'm gonna jump. You got it. Whoa, my ski's slipping off. Just remember, never snowplow, okay? No snowplows. Keep it straight and you'll be fine. Okay. You can go the straight. Do you go faster on the end run? A little bit. A little bit? Yeah. Is it any steeper, do you think? Not same, much. Same steepness, it's just longer. It's just longer. Just longer, just a bigger 20, that's all. Yep. Have it's fun. A bigger 20. Go ahead. You got this. I got it. You'll be fine. Okay. Here. The longer you wait, you'll be more scared. I go. the first time freaks you out. That's the only thing. It's so fun. Huh? 60 seems like nothing now. Whoa! <laughs> Don't miss it. It's a gift from God. And the last thing I want to encourage you with is this. To say, today I will put my hope in God because He's at work. And some of you are thinking, I... It just doesn't look like anything's happening here. God's at work. Just God's at work. You know what? I find that when I find myself being ungrateful and I move to fear, then I feel like I need to control things. It's really a crummy place to be. It's so much better to let your hands loose and say, God, I'm going to enjoy the ride. I'm going to be responsible and do all I can, but I'm going, to, I'm, going to, I'm, going to, I'm going to move where you want me to move. And I just want to say one of the prayers you may need to be praying right now is today. I'm going to kick my hand off the grip of trying to hold on to it and the, the gratefulness of what I don't have and the fear that's moving me to a place where now I've got to control and manipulate and get the outcome to have happen. It doesn't happen. It doesn't happen in marriages. It doesn't happen in lots of places. It doesn't. Your control isn't going to give you what you want, but your trust and letting go in God will produce a grateful, joyful, hopeful heart. And so that's what I've been praying for myself. And if you guys want to join the journey, um, that's what I would pray that we would be as a people.